Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations where they either don't currently exist or rebuild organizations into talent-centric cultures. We are committed to supporting your values through creating a healthy, successful company, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies in about 40 minutes. Here we go. Hi, and welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. My very special guest today is Jawad Asan, CFO of Axon, headquartered down in Arizona. Jawad, welcome. Thanks so much for having me, Carol. My pleasure. Tell us a little bit about what Axon does at a high level. Sure. So Axon used to be known as Taser International. The company was founded in 1993 uh, with the Taser technology. So our founder and CEO, Rick Smith, he had two high school friends who were shot and killed in a road rage incident when he was in, in, uh, in business school. And he was really affected by this and thought like how crazy it is that we people still blow holes in each other with hot lead balls and thought about, you know, there's gotta be a better way to, you know, um, incapacitate people than, than shooting them. And he found Jack cover, who's a NASA scientist who had invented the taser technology and uh, Jack had all the technology dialed in, but you know, wasn't he didn't have the business side figured out. So Rick and his brother partnered with Jack and then founded the company. They actually started it as a consumer business. They, uh, early tasers used to be in the sharper image sure, catalogs, if you remember those. Yeah. And then um, very quickly they pivoted to law enforcement. That's where they got a lot of traction. And and then over the you know the next probably twenty years or so after that, uh, really grew mostly in law enforcement in, in domestic law enforcement. And uh, got to a point where the taser became ubiquitous. We're in 95% of agencies today. A lot of agencies started uh, having issues with lawsuits and people, you know, under, not fully understanding the taser technology. And mm-hmm. so Rick thought, well, why don't we put cameras on the tasers just so we can record what happened and we can clear officers' names? Mm-hmm. The problem was most of the time the camera on the taser is pointed, in, you know, at the ground when it's in the holster. So we moved the camera to the to the chest, and that's how the body camera segment was born. And today we are the largest provider of body cameras uh, domestically as well. That's really interesting. And, um, and the company IPO'd in 20 years ago, 2001. Um, you've got about 1,500 employees now and uh, are at about $800 million in revenue. Yeah, as of this year? That's right. Um, is law enforcement really your primary? customer base or is there anything outside of law enforcement? It is primarily law enforcement today. Over the past couple of years, we've made more of a push to expand beyond just domestic law enforcement. So international has been a a big growth vector for us. Uh, We have a presence in a lot of countries, English speaking countries, Australia, New Zealand, uh, the UK, Canada. Mm -hmm. That's where we targeted first. We established a beachhead there. And now we've started to branch out to other countries India, uh, South Korea, Sri Lanka, like Southeast Asia. Um, you know, we've got a presence in, in Africa and the Middle East as well. Morocco is a very big customer of ours. And so just globally, our ambitions are really to get to a point where so today our revenues are about 
international, 80% domestic, we think right. that it'll someday surpass over 50% because every country in the world has law enforcement right, uh, and has a need for our products. Uh, so we're, we've been expanding internationally. And then aside from law enforcement, we've been selling more into the federal government in the US. Right. So we've um, there's a, a certification that you need to have to provide cloud storage solutions to federal agencies in the US. That standard is called FedRAMP. And Axon is the only FedRAMP certified cloud provider and so we sell to the Department of Defense, Homeland Security, Border Patrol, the Forest Service, et cetera. Uh, that's at the FedRAMP, what they call moderate level. There's another tier above that called FedRAMP High, which we're working on. And once we have that, then we can sell them to the FBI and TIA. And they'll be um, you know, carrying your products as well. And then finally, we're expanding into the enterprise space. So private security, um, we you know have some uh, other like amusement parks and, um, you know, lawn care service companies, those types of things that are also interested in body cameras. And then we have a, a small, but very fast growing consumer business as well. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Um, from a cloud storage standpoint with, with FedRAMP, why is that a better option for the government than, you know, AWS, Azure, you know, another cloud storage, you know, Oracle, any of the other companies who are selling it? So we actually partner with Microsoft. Azure is our storage, our backend. We didn't build our own servers. Right. Okay. Uh, we do partner with them, but mm-hmm. we have the um, the backend to manage the software, uh, to manage the video that comes from the from the cameras. What's really interesting is a lot of federal customers already have their own cameras. They have covert cameras, fixed cameras, et cetera. And what they really need is a software, is a web-based solution to manage the video, which is what we've built. We still use Azure for storage, but it's our, uh, what the product is called DEMS, Digital Evidence Management Software. Mm-hmm. And it's the Axon DEMS product, which is called evidence.com. That's really gained a lot of traction federally. That's really interesting. Um, without obviously making an assumption here, what would you say the biggest problem you solve for your customers is? You know, our mission as a company is to protect life, right? Yeah. So I the biggest problem and also to protect truth. We want to not only um, mm-hmm. save lives, but also help build a fairer and more transparent justice system. Mm-hmm. And the customers that we serve, that's that's their goal as well. You know, you think about law enforcement, they're not trained to kill people, they're trained right. to stop a threat, right? So the you know, we want to provide them with the taser that's more effective and more reliable than a firearm so they can stop a threat with the taser and not have to shoot people. And it's the same thing with the body camera. What we find is that the body camera, initially there was a lot of resistance to it. And now, you know. Agencies love it because it improves transparency and behavior on both sides of the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I heard there's an anecdote I'd love to share. There's an officer, a couple of officers who uh, responded to a domestic incident once. And this woman was just apoplectic and was was saying, hey, stop, get your hands off me. I'm going to sue you, et cetera. And the officer wasn't touching her. And she was screaming. She just couldn't, you know, be, be consoled. And they told her, ma'am, you're being recorded. This is a body camera on my chest. And instantly her demeanor changed. <laughs> Yeah. Right. That, and it so protects the officers. It protects yeah. communities. Yeah. You know, you know, we live in a, we live in a world of everybody has a video camera in their pocket. Yeah. Much. And, you know, it is, it is, I mean, it's, it's, it's really been interesting, at least for me as a, as an observer to see, and it's, of course, it's not foolproof, but see how behaviors have changed in so many ways. That's right. That, and that's really what drives us as a company is to, mm-hmm. It, it, we're we're a tech company, and we're very much interested in offering technology solutions that are going to 
deliver better outcomes. So we not only the taser and the body camera, but we've also expanded into drones as well. We don't make the drones, but we provide the video um, you know, management software for the drones. Mm-hmm. We have an in-car camera product. We just announced or we just launched it last month. It's called Fleet 3. Okay. And it's an in-car product that has automated license plate reading. So historically, if you wanted automated license plate reading in a police car, it's like a fifty dollars to $100,000 proposition for one vehicle. You've got to tear it down, put all this wiring in. Our per solution car. per car. fifty dollars to $100,000 sale. Woo. That's right. That's and that's why typically if you had that as an agency, you would have it in like just a small handful of cars, not your entire fleet. Our, our product um, mounts on the windshield. It's a fairly light install and it's $129 per month per car. And it's a subscription uh, and you can get it for every one of your cars. And it's all, we've got some AI processing at the edge, but it's also, um, you know, cloud-based as well. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. You talk a little bit about, um, you know, moving into the enterprise and, you know, into the, into, into the consumer base. Who's, who's buying these things from a consumer, you know, B2C standpoint. Yeah. A lot of our consumers, um, we've got two different bases. Uh, One, interestingly enough, are people that own guns. Um, a lot of people that own guns, like they'll they'll go to a you know a gun store, gun supply store distributor, and they'll also pick up a taser as like another um, product to help supplement their their home mm-hmm. defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people just like the technology, right? The taser is a, a pretty cool product to shoot. Um, and then we also have folks that aren't comfortable with guns. I'm very much squarely in that category. I didn't grow in up around guns. I'm not <laughs> comfortable with them. Sure. Um, I, you know, I'll never have a gun in my home, but I have tasers in my home for mm-hmm. self-defense because I feel more comfortable with that. Yeah. Well, uh, and so we also have a lot of folks who we sell to there. Yeah. And I, and I think that's a really important distinction, Jawad, that, that, you know, people have to use what they're comfortable with, you, you know, that's right. You know, so, so I, I think that is just really super important and, you know, that there's an alternative to a firearm for people who are not comfortable with a firearm. That's right. And I know many of those people. And I know many, and I know many people who pretty much have arsenals at their homes, Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, Colorado is a very interesting place. <laughs> yeah. You know, even, yeah, even yeah. though our, you know, our politics have gone squarely into the blue now, you know, yeah. I live in, in what was an old ranching community. So, you know, in this area, there's still, you know, plenty of people with a lot of guns, yeah. but you know, the important thing is that people are, you know, as I said, people have something that they're comfortable with. Um, that's, that's exactly right. You got your start uh, out of school at GE, yeah, and and yes. spent about thirteen years there in the early early part of your career, and, and you're really only on to your third job. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your journey to where you are today, because when you know when you started at GE, you were you know in the audit department, and you know in in your later years there, you were. It appears, you know, you were CFO of two different healthcare divisions of theirs. Yep. I'd love to hear about your journey from, you know, the start to where you are today, you know, as a CFO to a two and $800 million company. Sure. So I think the, the most important thing to understand is that I, I do not see myself as a finance person. Um, I, I never worked on Wall Street. I, I don't have a CPA. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I, I was an economics major and that what I loved about economics is that you have to step back and look at the bigger picture and understand how the different pieces fit together. But you also have to be able to go deep and look at the microeconomics, look at the different inputs and, you know, different triggers and, you know, levers you can pull to affect the broader system. And I just yeah. love that. And that's really what I get to do in finance. And so, you know, for me, when I, in, in my role today at Axon, 
I don't own just finance. I also own our IT, our legal functions, and our consumer business actually reports into me as well. Oh, interesting. And, and uh, when I started at GE, it was more to get a, a background and a basis in finance. Mm-hmm. And I thought, look, I'll do this for a few years and then go and get my MBA. And what I found was that every job that I took, I was learning so much. And GE's in a you know different place right now. But when I was there in the early 2000s, it was such a fertile learning ground. And the more I raised my hand for different assignments, mm-hmm. they would just you know give you more, as much as you'd ask mm-hmm. for. I lived in seven different countries and 12 different states. And really, I, I, even though I was at that one company for 13 years, I worked in many different industries and it felt like I worked in different companies. I worked probably 100-hour work weeks during my 20s. You know, people ask me sometimes, Carol, like, how did you get to be a public company CFO at 37? Well, right, as exactly. <laughs> I took some shortcut and I, I didn't. There are no, there are no shortcuts. Yeah. I just worked like two decades worth in my 20s. And um, and I got to do that at you know, a company like GE. And I saw so much. It wasn't just finance. Uh, and that was one of the great things about GE was that they didn't view finance as just finance. It was really more yeah. operations. Bean counting. And so, yeah, that's right. So I, you know, I did that and uh, got to be a divisional CFO, as you pointed out. And what I realized was that, you know, I loved, um, I, I always felt like I was learning more on the job, more than I could get my MBA until I was. And I felt like, Hey, I, I need to really supplement my learnings. I went to go get my MBA. Mm-hmm. When I was at MIT, I, I got a sense for just how much is out there that I I wasn't getting exposure to at GE. Mm-hmm. And that's when I thought, look, maybe I should you know, branch out. And I that's when I left in 2014 to go be CFO for a private equity backed company. Did that. It was an amazing learning experience. Took them through an exit and then uh, and then had a chance to come to Axon. How did how did Axon come to you? And what was it about them that had you say, wow, this is a company I need to work for? Yeah, it's it's funny you asked that. So when when they first reached out to me, this was late 2016. The company was still called Taser International. We didn't change the name until my second day on the job oh, uh, to Axon. And my initial reaction was, that's pretty cool, but I don't really know anything about that space. I, I had carved out a niche for myself at that point as a software CFO yeah. and as a SaaS CFO, and that's where I wanted to stay. And when I got to meet the executive team, the first thing that happened was I met Rick, our founder and CEO, and he told me that his mission in life is to make the bullet obsolete. And I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. I can get behind that. That's the kind of thing that I, you know, I, I missed at GE being like tied to a mission and being very mission driven. That's very much who I am. And I didn't want to work somewhere that was, you know, just sort of helping people get more effective at marketing or, you know, I really wanted to work somewhere that was uh, mission driven. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that um, I really, you know, really resonated with me. And then I met the executive team and they told me about their strategy, how they wanted to really pivot into more of a software technology company. And they were looking for a CFO that had that background to help them, you know, pivot into that. So, of course, that's really fantastic. Um, when you joined for almost four and a half years ago, uh, uh, Axon had a market cap of about a billion dollars and it's now at $11 billion, which is pretty impressive in, in such a short period of time. Uh, like, how did that all happen? And again, I can, you know, maybe put two and two together and figure that out, but I'd rather hear it from you. Yeah, it, it has been a wild ride. I, I just cannot believe how fast the last four years have gone. It's, it's just flown by. It's every day is different and it's been its own, you know, exciting challenge. Um, you know, a lot of it's just been staying focused on execution. We haven't done a lot of M&A. The last company that I was at, the private equity back one, I was there for three years. And in those three years, we acquired 10 companies and had to integrate them. 
And in my time here at Axon, we've only um, done a couple. We done we really did one that was fairly small, and then one that was even smaller than that. Uh, it's mostly been organic. It's been yeah. staying focused on our strategy and executing. Um, you know, like I said, expanding internationally, mm-hmm. really upgrading the systems and getting the company ready to scale. When I joined, we were around three hundred million dollars in revenue, and uh, a lot of what we were doing, we had been doing for twenty years, as far as planning and uh, the financial planning was a big one strategic planning all the functions we didn't we had outsourced pretty much anything of consequence ir um you know corporate strategy treasury uh a lot of the legal stuff we had outsourced as well when we brought that in-house and and built a pretty stellar team that's been a big part of like if i if i have one superpower i don't consider myself to be a great pure finance person my superpower is i know how to build high performing teams Great. And that's what I set out to do. We did it in finance because when I started at Axon, I only had finance. And then Luke, our president and our, our CEO, uh, gave me more functions to manage just to like help you know upgrade those functions as well. And it's been up-leveling talent, putting in more process. Um, I think that's one of the things that's been helpful about my background is I worked at a big company like GE where I saw the process and I worked at a small startup mm-hmm. prior to Axon, not a startup, but you know a much smaller company that... Um, needed that process and needed to implement that process. And mm-hmm. so coming to Axon, I was able to blend the two to get us ready to scale. And then, you know, we've got a, a really fantastic relationship with our customers. I've never worked anywhere mm-hmm. where the customers love our product as much as I, I've seen at Axon. And Rick is like this cult figure in law enforcement. Um, you know, it's one thing I really love about, about Axon is we always do what's right for the customer. We don't have a short-term focus. Mm-hmm. You know, at GE, there was so much focus on making the quarter at all costs. Very common. And it's not like that here. And that was one thing I, I asked about before I came to Axon with Rick is like, you know, we've got to make sure we keep our eyes on the uh, long term, right. right? Solving for the right answer, mm-hmm. not just being right in the short term mm-hmm. was really important. And that's something that governs us every day. Yeah, that's that's a really important distinction. I'm, I'm actually glad you mentioned that. Um you know, the other thing that you mentioned was that your prior company between GE and Axon, the PE-backed firm, made 11 acquisitions and you all have only made one and you've been growing organically. Um, I've always felt that the more acquisitions, the more difficult it is to integrate those companies. Uh, and, and a lot of companies do a really bad job with it. How did you get through that process successfully? With all, I mean, that's a lot of companies to acquire. You know, um, the in such a short so period of time, you're you're absolutely right. It's difficult, like because a lot of people when they're buying a company don't realize it's not just numbers in a spreadsheet. Culture, it's the culture, right? Oh, there's so yeah. much. It, and the integration of it is so hard to do. Yeah. Um, you know, the private equity firms they're they're built to do this, right? Like it's yeah. a machine. Like it was so like the transactional side of things was so right. easy. They just they gave us such great support. We would highlight targets that we liked and they, mm-hmm. you know, help us get the deal done and then integrating them. Uh, that, you know, that was, that was a challenge because it's the culture, it's the people, the systems, there's so much that needs to happen. Uh, I I'll tell you, like we didn't, I, my work-life balance was non-existent, pretty much didn't sleep. And I really viewed it as a sprint. It wasn't sustainable, you know, certainly not something I could do over a long period of time yeah. in three years, you know, just really focus on got to, got to get these things. In, in some cases we, we're juggling multiple acquisitions at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's, it's a combination of having the support from the PE firm, but also, you know, really um, 
I, you know, the other thing, Carol, like you have to also be comfortable with what comes with the acquisitions, which is driving out the synergies, which, which inevitably means you've got to, you know, let people go. Yeah. And one of the reasons we don't do as many acquisitions at Axon is that's not who we are. Like Rick, you know, is one of the most, maybe the most positive person I've ever met. And he doesn't like firing people or laying people off. You know, he'll do it if he needs to, but yeah. if and I, he and I had this discussion, if we want it to be more acquisitive, it's going to mean acquiring companies and then realizing synergies, which is code for laying people off. And that's just not who we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's, that's really awesome that you pointed that out. Um, you know, I, I don't really think that people want to have to lay people off, but I also think there are people out there who just really don't care. Yep. You know, which is unfortunate, but oh, well. Um, what would you say are the biggest challenges that you're facing in your industry right now in your market? Yeah. In the industry right now, um, one of the challenges that we heard from, from like we get asked if we got asked about was the whole defund the police movement, right? you know, and there's this perception right now around, you know, like law enforcement needs to reform and there are all these issues. And, And the reality is like, they have been they have been reforming. Like I, I've been at police conferences since I joined in 2017, where they talked about the need to drive more empathy in training mm-hmm. and have more situational awareness and be able to identify and connect more with communities. Like this was well, well before, you know, George Floyd. And, mm-hmm. you know, unfortunately, sure, like you've got the outliers, but by and large, um, the, you know, the leadership in policing, if you look at the chiefs of police, across the country, it is far more diverse than for the Fortune 100 or, you know, Fortune 500, right? right? right. It's a lot more diverse. And there's mm-hmm. a lot more, I would say, empathy uh, that people realize. It's just more visible, like the outliers are, are more, you know, visible. Right. Um, and so that that's one thing is just like being there, standing by our customers and helping support them, um, you know, we, and also just having the conviction to mm-hmm. support them we get questions from investors. We've had some foreign investors who have told us, look, we don't think you guys are doing enough from an ESG standpoint or helping drive police reform. And you know, they want to invest in us because of that. And that's okay, right? Because we are who we are. We know who our customer is. We know who we want to support. Uh, and we know that they're really on the right side of, of history here. And so um, that's been one challenge. Another one is really internationally for us, a lot of customers are not ready to adopt the cloud. So yeah. our body right. camera solution has had so much success domestically because our strategy from the beginning was, was cloud first. We're yeah. cloud native when a lot of other body camera providers went on-prem. Mm-hmm. Internationally, the challenge is twofold. One is some countries uh, don't have the infrastructure, like Morocco is one where they wanted to go cloud, but they just sure. didn't have the infrastructure right. for cloud. Yeah. And the other one is data sovereignty, right? We have some countries that just don't feel comfortable having their data managed by an American uh, cloud company. Right. And so I think ultimately, though, the world is moving towards cloud. So it's mm-hmm. going to happen. And the more mm-hmm. different countries move towards cloud, the more our solution is going to make sense to them. Mm-hmm. And then I'd say the last one is a, a technical challenge that we're working on, which is, again, our mission is to make the bullet obsolete. And we want the, the taser to be the first thing that an officer reaches for worldwide, US or not, when they perceive a threat that they need to stop. Mm-hmm. and the, they don't today, like if it's, if they deem that there's lethal or close to lethal force that they're trying to stop, they will first reach for their firearm. And the reason that is, is because the taser 
doesn't always reliably stop the person if they're right. wearing multiple layers of clothing or sometimes disconnects. Mm -hmm. And we have to solve that. If, if yeah. we really want to achieve our mission, which we're all passionate about, we have to build a taser that's so effective and so reliable, it's going to be the first thing an officer reaches for. And we're working every day on that. Well, yeah. And, and that, that is, you know, like, like change never occurs quickly. Right. Um, and when I say change, I don't mean change coming from Axon. I mean, the change coming from your customers, <laughs> yep. and, you know, to, to your point, it's going to take time. Even if you do solve that problem, you know, when you solve that problem, yep. uh, it's still going to take time to be able to have somebody trust that that's going to work for them. Like that's really, right. In a, I, in a I think we're going to, that's exactly right. I think we're likely going to see it internationally first. Like you have some agencies that their police don't carry guns, right? Because mm -hmm. it's not always as, as ubiquitous as it is in the U S um, but they're, they're, they don't, they're not ready to carry guns, but they need something more effective than like a billy club. And that's yeah. exactly where a taser could come in. Very interesting. Um, you, 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 you have a personal passion about building great teams. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, that was the reason I, you know, I wrote the book. I, like I said, I, I like to, um, uh, not only build teams, but develop them and, and coach managers and, and new managers. And, you know, I, I just had shared these lessons over the course of a number of years. And when I got to Axon, the audiences got a little bigger and I would get more feedback on how much it resonated with people. And folks said I should write a book. And so that's what I did. And for me, what I found is that I like to lead and manage by principles. Yeah. And one of those is I've found over the course of my career that there are coach, uh, traits that you can coach in people and there are traits that you cannot coach and you'll waste your time trying to coach. And not that you can't learn them on your own. I've just learned that I, I can't coach them. Okay. Right. And, and those are a strong sense of integrity, a sense of accountability, someone who's collaborative mm -hmm. and they put the team success over their own. And then someone who's positive. Mm -hmm. And the last one seems like a no brainer, but you know, I, I, I run into people sometimes that um, view themselves as positive, but they're really more, um, you know, I, I believe that on the spectrum of like positivity to negativity, it, it's not linear. It's really, it comes to a point. And at that point, you tend to roll one way or another when you are faced with adversity. Mm -hmm. And if you are faced with adversity and you are generally positive, you'll see the opportunity in a challenge or a problem and you'll, you know, figure out how to work through it. Versus if you tend to trend the other way, you're, you're the type of person that is going to, you know, gripe and complain and point fingers and woe is me. Right. And like that, that ends up being toxic to a culture. Right. And culture is just so important. Like I just yep. have learned, like, I can't coach those people, right. If that's your disposition, I'm not going to coach that out of you. So anyways, I look for those four traits um, as a building block for a strong team. Yeah, that's really great. You know, and, and I mean, coaching is a whole separate subject that we could, that, you know, we could have a whole other interview about that, but you know, what I have found in my career and, and I've been coaching north of 20 years now um, is you're right. There are some things that you may not be able to change. And there are other things that really, it, it, it takes a lot of time to get to those, like why somebody's the way they are and not in a therapy sort of way. Yep. And a lot of it, a lot of those things are just living in a blind spot for somebody. And until you can get those out of that blind spot, so that somebody now has a distinction of a particular behavior and why that is, only then can they start to put a structure in place to interrupt that behavior. And that's, yep. that's, 
that's far more complicated and takes more time. Um, Is there anything in particular about your industry that kind of bugs you? Um, let's see. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a little, uh, slower to embrace change, right? So like we do have our, a lot of the, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but what's happening, like the demographics are, are changing such that when you go visit agencies, you see a lot more younger officers, uh, younger sergeants, et cetera. They're wearing the Apple watches. They've got iPhones. They're used to, you know, the UI UX that comes with a, a great mm-hmm. sort of con- consumer type product. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're really building for. That's the type of product. That's the experience that you have when you use Axon. And um, that's really what, like, as an example, our latest body camera, Axon Body 3, it has live streaming capabilities. So you could pull up in a browser window, if you're back at command, where all the different officers are on a map, you could click on an officer and live stream their video, not only to command, but you could live stream it out to everyone, everyone around them. Uh, if that officer is in distress, now you know everyone records the video of the incident. And what when it comes to writing a, a report, right, in a record, what better record of an incident than the video? So yeah. what we've done is we have an auto transcribe technology. You don't have to do anything. The software will automatically take the audio from the, from the uh, recording and transcribe it and pre-populate your police report. <laughs> and what you can do then is edit, you know, based on what you need to do to get the information in the form you needed, but that's going to save a ton of time right now. Uh, historically officers will spend two thirds of their shift doing paperwork and right. only a third actually patrolling. And right. we're trying to shift that so that they're spending more of their time patrolling. Mm-hmm. That's really slick. So, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. And, and that's been well-received. Yeah, absolutely. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, what does the competitive landscape look like? So, you know, it, it's uh, it's interesting because we have, no one does what we do as far as the entire suite of, we offer the taser, the body camera, the software that manages all of it. Um, and no one offers all the products on suite, but you have someone like a Motorola. Motorola has uh, a body camera product. Uh, you have a company, like I mentioned, we, we're into uh, police records. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a company called Mark 43 that also has a competing uh, SaaS-based records product in, you know, we admire them. Um, I'd say there's also, there are companies internationally like Reveal Media, they have a body camera solution uh, that we've come up against. So there are different competitors that we see in different spaces. In the in-car camera space, there's a company called WatchGuard um, that also has that. They actually were acquired by Motorola. So it really just depends on what product. And then in, from a taser standpoint, um, there are companies like Phaser and Condor that also have electrical weapons. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, we happen to think ours is, is the most effective. Of course you do. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> so it really just depends on the industry. Right. Got it. Uh, how do you typically connect with your prospects? We ha- So one of the great things about the fact that we've been in, in 95% of agencies for so long with the Taser, the Taser, um, that relationship allowed us to sell body cameras and, you know, software and, um, it was it was sort of synergistic in the sense that the taser paved the way for us to sell body cameras, but the tasers historically we sold as an upfront thing, right? It was book and ship. You buy the taser and then you talk to us again in a few years when you need another taser. But the body cameras were always on a subscription. Right. And now what we've done is we've actually shifted the other way with the taser. The tasers are now on a subscription as well. So we have a product called the Officer Safety Plan, which bundles the taser, the body camera you know, and depending on what tier you buy a different amount of software products. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And that's that's all you know under this officer safety plan. You pay a monthly fee per officer per month, and then you get access to all of our technology. And that's um, like I said, having the relationship with over three decades of law enforcement has helped. And now with the federal customers, we hired um, Richard Coleman from General Dynamics, who runs our federal business, and mm-hmm. he you know hiring someone from that space who knows the federal space. He's built out a team oh, yeah. that's absolutely fantastic that has federal experience and they right. have the relationships like before he got here we didn't even know which conferences or meetings to attend mm-hmm. so it's kind of running that play in all the different industries yeah but i mean federal is a different animal you really need you really need to know people in that space <laughs> yep you know it, it's 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 very difficult if you've not done federal work before to come into it be you know because it's it's really a I don't know if it's incestuous, but it's a very small industry. You know, you have to know the right people That's right. to get into it. And, you know, and yep. it's the same thing if, you know, if you're selling into the military, you know, so many, so many companies hire, you know, ex-military guys to run divisions because of the context that they have. Um, tell me a little bit about your company culture and what you think makes it unique. I think people ask me that question all the time in interviews. Okay. And the first word that comes to mind is fun. It, it's just a really fun company. And I've been a CFO now for a few different businesses and supported, you know, CEOs and general managers. And it's just so true about the tone coming from the top. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned Rick being such a positive guy. And he's like, he's a genuinely nice person. And it just permeates like we have a very positive culture. Uh, We're very much mission driven and and execution focused. And, you know, that definitely it's a hard charging company. Uh, but we're a kind company, right? And we like to do the right thing for our customers, for our employees. Um, you know, we, uh, we even if it means that there's a cost that we've got to incur, if it hits our bottom line, it's fine because we like, generally believe that doing the right thing is going to end up serving you well down the road. Mm-hmm. And so that really permeates a lot of what we do. We have a fairly informal culture as well. You know, we, we went on Zoom like three years ago before it was really a big thing because we loved giving people the ability and the flexibility to work wherever they needed and, mm-hmm. um, you know, work from home if they needed at different hours and stuff. And so we also use a tool called uh, Boxer, which allows you to send basically like a voice message um, to people and, and they can pick it up and listen to when, you know, whenever it's convenient for them. Right. And then they can respond when it's convenient for them, basically cut down on the number of meetings because mm-hmm. you have these asynchronous conversations and you can generally do them pretty quickly versus like trying to find, a 30 minute slot where seven people can meet, that's kind of hard to do. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, we definitely prioritize work-life balance as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're very much in a, you know, a, uh, an achievement driven mer- uh, meritocracy yeah. kind of company. And that's, yeah. Well, which, which is fantastic. Yeah. Where, where are your people located? Are they strewn about the United States overseas? Our headquarters is in Scottsdale, which right. is where we make the tasers. And yeah. um, the, the software business is actually up in Seattle. That's where the bulk of it is. Okay. We grew that through acquisition and it's been amazing just because we get a lot of talent from, from the Facebooks and Amazons and Googles. And, you know, we come, a lot of people come from Amazon and say, I, I have, you know, a unique set of talents and I just, I don't want to use it to help people watch more TV or buy more things online. Right. (laughs) They want to like actually Uh help save lives and they can Mm -hmm. do that at Axon. Uh, And then we've got a, an R and D center in Vietnam. We have an R and D center in Finland and then some smaller sales offices globally as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so are your, are your employees remote? Have they been remote? Did the pandemic change anything for you? Yeah, you know, it, um, 
for the folks making the tasers, they always had to come into the office. And so we mm -hmm. put measures in place to protect them and like right. spread out the manufacturing. So they've been there nonstop. But a lot of the folks that would come in and sit at a desk, they're doing that now at home. Yeah. I don't know that we're ever going to go back to five days a week in the office. Mm -hmm. There are some roles where people are never going to come in, you know, unless right. they really need to. Yeah. I probably only go in once a week now as it is, mm -hmm. um, just because, you know, I'm, in, I'm on Zoom all day, uh, not traveling as much. And I go in when I need to. There's some things that you can't get around, you know, like prototyping. We've got a new set of consumer products that we're working on that are going to release for the holiday and seeing them in person, there's just no substitute mm -hmm. for that, test firing them, et cetera. And then sometimes meeting face-to-face -face is always better. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it just, it's just a mix. I don't well, think I mean, we're ever going to go back. Yeah. And, and people want to actually get together and, you know, break bread and, you know, have a cocktail or something. Right. Right. But, um, which is just not the same thing to do over Zoom. It's just not the same thing. <laughs> yep. Um, if you look at your, you know, 1,500-ish employees, um, and kind of look back at least at least over your tenure over the last four and a half years, and you may know certainly prior to that as well. What has been the general employee retention rate, right? Um, and what percentage of and I kind of hesitate to use this word, you know, bad hires or mishires has the company made? So we look at that uh, fairly frequently. It's a pretty important metric for us, and. Our attrition hovers around fifteen percent. It just you know varies on the on the by the different functions. Okay. Um, and we actually have a fairly low um, what we call like regrettable attrition because yeah. I, I think because people come here because they're connected with the mission and they're very yes. mission driven and passionate, mm -hmm. they tend to stay. And the folks that leave are generally you know they're not performing or you know it's it's not the right culture for them. And and so like that's why the regrettable attrition is fairly low. We also have been growing like crazy. We mentioned that the growth in market cap has also reflected in the org chart as well, right? There are roles that exist here that weren't here. Like for example, when I started, we had no corporate strategy team. Not It wasn't even like really a function. And now we have someone that heads it up who used to be at Goldman Sachs for a number of years. And he's built out a rockstar team of, uh, of five or six folks underneath him that all have investment banking backgrounds mm -hmm. and they're doing amazing things. And none of those roles existed. A few years ago, Great. and now what we're doing is we're really building a, a pretty deep bench. Yep. My my vision is I'd love for someone to come in and uh, entry level and get all the experiences they could possibly need to one day become a CFO mm -hmm. or get to the C suite themselves. And that's one of the things about Axon I love is that yes, we're now an S and P four hundred mid cap company, mm -hmm. but we're still small enough that you can get access to the C-suite. I have one-on-ones with pretty much anyone in the company who asked for one. Um, you know, I do office hours and, and people will sign up for it and mm -hmm. we're happy to do it. Like we love giving people that accessibility right. to the C-suite. And it's not only that accessibility in a one-on-one -on -one setting, but people will sit in on meetings that um, are, you know, fairly high level discussions that I wasn't sitting in on those types of meetings kind of early in my career at GE. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, you benefit from those Absolutely, you benefit right. from them, like being in those discussions and hearing the thought and seeing the thought process of some of the execs. So, it's a mm -hmm. it's a pretty exciting place. Well, that, that's a great segue. Then, you know, looking at looking at your uh, employee base, what's the what's the the makeup of those people? Men, women, you know, diversity. Yeah, it's um, we have about fifty four percent men. 
Uh, and again, it sort of varies by just looking at the different functions. Uh, it sort of skews one way or another. Like engineering, for example, is a little heavier towards men and like yeah. our people office is a little heavier towards women. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, it's about a little, about half-half. And then uh, we actually, we do pretty well from a diversity standpoint. Um, Arizona has been actually pretty great in that regard. It, it's a little more challenging in our engineering up in Seattle. Um, just cause like we're competing, like everyone is competing for diverse engineering talent. Right. Of course. And not, the, it's the number Google's, one most difficult job to fill software engineering. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and so, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks, et cetera, like they're just have they have more resources. And so like, we're, you know, trying to solve that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we've got, like I said, some offices internationally, like, like Vietnam and, and Finland, and mm-hmm. it's a company that tries to very, we, we try to make sure everyone feels included. We have asked me any things where our execs will basically get on a hot seat and uh, folks will ask them questions. We do company town halls and, and meetings probably probably every month or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of transparency internally. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, where do you see yourself investing in resources over the next year? So we're investing a lot in learning, like yeah. not only things like LinkedIn learning, but like giving people the tools and resources they need to augment their jobs. You know, for, if we have accounting people, we want them to, we, we support them with their continuing credits for their CPA. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have like our investor relations team, we, we pay for them. ESG has become just such a hot topic now. Yeah. And so, you know, we'll invest in them to get ESG training. It just really depends on your function, but it's, it's really important to us to get mm-hmm. them the training that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also building a new headquarters and the new headquarters is going to be designed to help be more, uh, you know, more collaborative. So you can come in and get work done, uh, but also meet with other people. Um, so we're, we're it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty cool design. Actually, we've got these pods that are hybrid where you can close the glass doors on either side and just and crank on work if you need to be by yourself, but you can also open it up and have like a small meeting space if you need to. <laughs> yeah. And our existing headquarters kind of allows for that as well. And so providing people with the support that they need uh-huh. Uh-huh. To, to be more And effective. this will also be in Scottsdale? Yes. Okay. Yep. Near near where you are currently. Yes, it's right across the street. <laughs> yep. How how convenient. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. So, if somebody wanted to get into the industry, into your industry, what kind of advice would you give them? Yeah, they should come work at Exxon. I, I think there's no more <laughs> exciting space to be. Um, I, I think law enforcement technology in general, it's uh, you know, there's a lot. There are there are some pretty cool companies. We've invested in some of them. So. Rapid SOS is one that's built a cloud-based uh, platform that is at the intersection of public safety access points and uh, 911 dispatch centers. Mm-hmm. So when you call 911 from an iPhone or from an Android, the information that goes to the um, uh, law enforcement agency, to the dispatch center, mm-hmm. they not only get your phone number, but they get some information that comes through with it, like your location. If, and if you shared it, your you know, age, sex, your you know, maybe some of your health conditions, um, that all comes through with an agreement through the iPhone, through uh, Apple and Google, through Rapid SOS's technology. And so we partner with them because we have a dispatch product that we're also working on mm-hmm. where, you know, if you um, want to dispatch your officers now, if you're a 911 center, now you want to dispatch officers to a given location. Well, if you know where they are because they're wearing our body camera, what better way to, to dispatch them than with our software? Yeah. And so we partnered with Rapid SOS. There's a company called Flock Safety that we've invested in mm-hmm. that has a fixed camera solution. So I mentioned the automated license plate reading that's in the car. Mm-hmm. Flock Safety has a similar solution, but it's a fixed camera that typically goes 
in uh, homeowners associations like condo associations, apartments. Um, actually, I, I, they have a statistic they shared, I think something like 90% of crime involves a vehicle. And so for them to have a camera to be able to, you know, look at and monitor vehicles. So, you know, they're a pretty, pretty exciting company we've invested in. Um, and then there's a bunch of other smaller ones that have some type of either drone technology or camera technology. That's been really our approach has been more to find these companies that we like and admire and invest in them. Uh, and then, you know, more so than, than acquiring them. Mm-hmm. What would you say are the biggest opportunities uh, and or threats in your space? So opportunities, there are, there are lots of opportunities. I, I think like just the general rise of um, these AI enabled technologies is really going to, I think it's going to transform not only the way policing is done, but the way, you know, uh, communities are, or, or they really think about safety. Like you think, I, I think in the long term, you're not going to have a need for as many police patrols. Like you could have, they could be drones, right? They could be, maybe it's automated vehicles, mm-hmm. but you're going to need some technology to help manage that. And Axon right. really, is really well positioned to do that. Um, you know, I think for us, one of the big opportunities we see is to build a better taser. We really want to displace the firearm. We want the yeah. fire, the taser to be the weapon that's on the dominant hip versus on, you know, on the non-dominant hip because we yeah, want right. officers to reach for that first. We think the more that we can accomplish that, the more lives we're going to save. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think some of the challenges are for the agencies or for the countries that aren't ready to embrace the cloud or have these mm-hmm. data sovereignty concerns. Like we've just, we've got to get through that. Uh, I think execution is a big one, right? Yeah. Like we, there are so many different ways that we can grow. Like we've touched upon so many different topics mm-hmm. here. We really need to stay focused. That's another thing I've seen take companies, you know, um, a notch or two down is when they are, are they trying get, to do too, yep, much. Yep, yeah. too much. Yeah. Um, and so staying focused is a big one. I would agree. Super, super important. Um, what's your day-to-day look like as a leader? Like, what do you spend your time doing? <laughs> oh, every day is different. Yeah. <laughs> every single day is different. Um, I, I probably spend close to two thirds of my time on people matters or topics yeah whether that's uh, interviewing, recruiting, um, putting together or thinking about compensation, both for mm-hmm. new hires and also for existing employees, promotions, development, you know, what, what different, uh, if someone's been in a role for a while, what new challenges do they need? What, like, what could we set them up for next? Um, you know, cause for me, it's all about the people. Companies are nothing more than collections of people. And I think the most important thing that I can do is not only make sure that we've got the right level of talent coming into the company, but once they're here, that we're giving them the attention and the development that they need right. so they can continue to grow in their career, or otherwise we're going to lose them, yeah. right? Like there's just, there's so many tools that are available out there for people to get really good at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like there's just, there are fewer and fewer companies to, um, uh, you know, go out, like companies that people want to work at that have that level of you know, cachet. And so we, we want to be one of those companies that people love working for mm-hmm. and, and staying at. Mm-hmm. And that's why I spend two thirds of my time on that. And then yeah. the other, I'd say a third to half is probably on, on strategic topics, mm-hmm. thinking about other investment targets, M&A targets. Uh, you know, what are we, are we going to, ex- for example, like we, we are accelerating the development of our next taser weapon. So we would have otherwise been on a cycle where it would be maybe three to four years out, mm-hmm. but we saw some early prototypes of it and we are so excited by it that we've um, 
unlocked additional funding to bring that to market sooner, mm-hmm. just because we think it's the right thing to do, you know, mm-hmm. for society. Obviously, we, yeah. we want to build a better taser, but we think it's going to be pretty transformative. And um, that's another thing that, you know, I spend a lot of time on is helping our investors understand why we make the decisions that we do from an investment standpoint, right? And like, that's, I'm also very fortunate in that regard is that our investors typically do take more of a long-term view, right? They, mm-hmm. they do understand that we're investing, uh, we're investing for growth. Our top line has been growing in the 20 to 30% range the last few years. And for us to keep it growing at that level, we've got to keep investing. Right. Yeah. Got to spend money to make money, right? Yeah. Um, if somebody listening uh, to this, once it, uh, once it drops, if somebody's listening to this says, boy, this company sounds super cool. Uh, I, I'd love to investigate working for them. What should they do? Where's, where should they go? Yeah. If you go to axon.com, you can go to our careers page and all of our jobs are listed there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I would really encourage people to go through that first and see okay. uh, what excites them, what interests them. If there's anything that they, they like, then they can reach out to me and I'd be happy to have a conversation with them. Okay. Wonderful. Well, gosh, Jawadasan, CFO of Axon, uh, thank you so much for being with me. This was really so interesting. And I think that everyone who listens to this is going to find it fascinating as well. It's my pleasure, Carol. You asked great questions. This is fun. This is a lot thank of fun. you. Good, good. It was, it was my, as I said, pleasure was all mine. Carol Schultz here. Thank you so much for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit www.verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, would you please share this episode on LinkedIn? You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know somebody that would be a great guest, Tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter and let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, please go to my website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.